Uh, man. Uh, but I mean, I don't know. I I was really excited about the, especially because the we talked about those nurses, and I was like, well, shit. I mean, we we talked about how they weren't gonna lose. They they yeah. literally just went on strike for like, mm-hmm. what was it, three months? Uh, no, like uh, like nine months. Nine months. <laughs> nine months. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's well, an insanely long time to be on strike. I mean, I know we've talked about a few strikes here and there that have lasted but, like yeah, six I years mean, and shit, as, but nine months is like an arduous amount of time to be out on the picket line. And then to be faced with the decertification vote immediately after. I mean, like we didn't we didn't doubt them, obviously, for good reason, because the I mean, what, three, 302 to 133? They, actually, there was 133 people who voted against the union, which is... Wild when they literally just got tons of of great concessions in their in their nine month strike. But, I mean, those yeah. are the like the one hundred and thirty three people that corporate was able to get to directly. Oh, or indirectly, right. You know, they're like the new employees, the ones that were brought on. Because wait, wait, if yeah, it was half because it, it, it they doubled the workforce by bringing in all of the temp workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then keeping them on as part of the contract to deal with the safe staffing, but. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically like seventy percent. I think is about what that that ratio works out to voted in in favor. So yeah, yeah. I mean I don't think we're surprised by that, but it's definitely good to see and and fuck the National Right to Work Foundation and their astroturf yeah. bullshit. Yeah, what is the so and it says Massachusetts. Uh, what it was the. St. Vincent, right, right. Yeah. It was the St. Vincent nurses. I was trying to trying to remember the exact name of, of the of the place that they were at. Yeah. Yeah, they're in they're in Worcester. So which is everyone's favorite like city to point out in Massachusetts where you're like that doesn't look like that's how you'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh Worcester Shire yeah. sauce. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, people from people from Massachusetts are always getting mad at me when I call it Boston. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, um, I mean, that's Ska's fault. That's not yours. Yes, exactly but. right. <laughs> Those skinny tie motherfuckers. Uh, oh, it is so weird that the Mighty Mighty Boston's broke up over COVID. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that happened, but that is super fucking weird. Yeah. Although, when you think about a ska band full of dudes from Massachusetts, it starts to make sense. <laughs> I mean, I imagine that COVID broke up a lot of bands. Yeah, no, I mean, it basically... Not not just because, like, you know, you have your, your idiots in the band, but you also just have... If you had reasonable people, they'd be like, well, we can't tour can't go do shows yeah and then right. you know and a, a year later they're just like hey uh you still up for this and like sorry i'm busy now yeah unless you're like mark rebele where you, your whole deal is like doing shit in your bedroom in your bathrobe by yourself and you're like i'm gonna take this to a bunch of drive-in movie theaters like there's really you have to be that level of like having the specific conditions and being creative if you're like a four-piece rock band, you're fucked. You're just fucked. I'm sorry. Yeah. Try again in two years. Two pieces years. only. We need more Mouse on the Keys style bands. That's right. More Hellas. <laughs> more Lightning Bolts. <laughs> yeah. That's right.
getting into the actual meat and potatoes of the show, welcome everybody to Work Stoppage. We are an entirely listener-supported podcast. Uh, Please so any help money us pay for potatoes. Yeah, so any money that you throw us on <laughs> Patreon is extremely uh, appreciated. If you're not in the Discord, get in there. That part is free, and it's a great way to see uh, the memes that we review at the end of each episode and just talk to us in general, which we love. And leave us a five-star review wherever you think it will help. Even if the maximum number of stars is more or less than five, just slam the five. It's always five. <laughs> That's uh, right. <laughs> and follow us on Twitter. But we're going to get right into it. Um, we talked shortly about the Massachusetts nurses who won their battle uh, to f- to fend off the decertification of their union in- at St. Vincent Hospital. And uh, now I actually we're going to talk that about all recorded. I'll I'll throw that all at the beginning. Okay. And now we're going to talk about coffee tree workers who have just won their fucking union election. So these are the coffee tree workers that we previously talked about in the Greater Pittsburgh area, uh, who I guess hopping on the uh, the momentum of coffee workers unionizing have gone and and had a successful union drive. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, shout out to to you know the one of our home cities of Pittsburgh and all the people mm-hmm. there. Uh, this is a, a group. It was how many locations is this? Oh, I think this is a multi-location thing, isn't it? I, I think, think they have five locations, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. Yeah. And then the, the one thing that was interesting to me about this, because the way that this came down was that the workers voted 17 to three in favor of the union. And if I remember correctly, there were like 80, or like sixty workers or something. There uh, were a lot more of, than twenty. Yeah, there's a total of fifty workers. There were thirty votes cast in this particular election. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, it's just a kind of kind of a low turnout, but also very like they got the pro union people out, and they got and the anti union people didn't come out. So you know, I guess that's that's one way to win an election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were so there were nine votes that were challenged by the company, but because the votes that have been counted that were not challenged are so heavily weighted in favor of the union, even if all nine of those were anti-union votes, the union would still win. So uh, that those challenges don't have any bearing on the outcome of the election. And so yeah, it's 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 really great. Like they had a, we had a quote in here from. Riley Davis, who's an employee at Coffee Trees Mount Lebanon store, who said, it feels amazing to be part of this and to get a win for a union. I've seen so many of my previous coworkers leave for better wages and change. And to see that now we have a voice to improve our workplace makes me excited to make it great for the coworkers I have now. Fuck yeah. I love that attitude. Yep. Just like, oh yeah, you know, some of my, I met some really cool people here. I like this job and I like the people here. And it's really sad to see him go because of, you know, how shitty this job is. Let's make this job better. See, this is this is what I want out of people because so often it's like the, oh, you don't like this job? Go get another one. Uh, move on, move on. Like, no, improve the conditions of where you are at. Like, that's, mm-hmm. how, you, that's how it's done, folks. Well, yeah, because I mean, like, how many people... Who, how many people just that you've known in your life where you talk to and they'll constantly complain about their jobs, totally justifiably, and you'll ask them, well, why do you, why do you stick around there? And they'll always be like, well, it's a really good group. I really like the people I work with. My coworkers mm-hmm. are cool. Like, and I don't really want to, you know, go somewhere else and have to build a whole like new set of relationships, which again is also totally understandable. But as you were saying, Lena, it's like. That means it's time for you and your cool coworkers 
to do some, you know, collective organizing of your own. And, and cause that's, then you can solve a lot of those problems and make it so that the place is no longer as shitty of a place to work and you get to keep the good coworkers. Right. right. Well, and they get more comrades. I mean, there these particular, uh, this particular union is going to be in local UFCW local 1776, uh, and uh, they're going to be beginning their, their first contract bargaining pretty soon. So we're looking out for that and hope that their contract is fucking awesome. Yeah, we're uh, giving yeah. these employees nothing but the best uh, negotiating their first contract here. Hell yeah. Then in our next follow-up, uh, we're going to be covering something that, you know, at first I was like, wait a minute, I know this one. I know this one. What is this? The tr- <laughs> I remember now. I wasn't on the episode that you guys covered this one. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is the about the rich products is the name of the parent company, but specifically this is the John Denaire ice cream cake plant in Los Angeles where mm-hmm. workers have been on strike since the beginning of November. Uh, we talked about this, you know, back I think at the beginning of December after they'd been on strike for a few weeks where these workers have been talking about basically the fact that they had been f- forced to accept wages of, of like $16 an hour, which in Los Angeles is basically minimum wage and not enough really to live on. Um, and additionally, they were facing cuts to basically all their benefits. They were also being forced to work a very oppressive amount of overtime. A lot of very similar conditions that we've heard with other members of the BCTGM who have struck over the last year. This is also the place where all of the ice cream cakes got went bad, right? Yes. Like they yeah. they were having issues with the with not they tried to keep the factory moving and uh and what it did was it just caused a ton of waste. Yeah, basic well, so I mean one of the key parts here is is that like the BCTGM workers, it's not just the folks that are like the cake decorators, the people that are actually on like the line assembling these products but it also includes the maintenance staff which means that the maintenance staff had been on strike and so uh even the company's attempts to keep the plant going with scabs was disrupted by the fact that if you have people who aren't really familiar with what they're doing in a place that makes food it's real easy to ruin the product especially when it's something as perishable as an ice cream cake i think that uh that's what it takes like what three two hours three hours for an ice cream cake cake to dissolve into a puddle i don't know (laughs) yeah maybe i mean in la maybe even less but uh but yeah so these workers have ended their strike after being out there for four months they uh have got a new contract where they will be getting a a three dollar and ten cent raise over the four-year life of that contract which you know three dollars over four years is not an enormous raise Mm mm-hmm it's, Compared to wait, it was one dollar previously that they were so, offered over. Yeah, the company was offering one dollar, well, basically twenty five cents a year, which is just insulting. Um, this, however, like it's one of those things where this this contract I feel kind of conflicted about, partially because there isn't a ton of information out yet mm, about right. it. Um, I, I mean, of course, we have the, you have the BCTGM press release where the president, Andy Shelton, came out and said, the John Denaire members made enormous sacrifices in order to achieve a fair contract that provides significant wage increases, maintains their excellent health insurance, and it improves working conditions. The BCTGM is grateful for the tremendous fraternal support we, we received from across the labor movement throughout the country, from Los Angeles to Buffalo, New York, the backyard of rich products. 
And the only piece of information we really have is the wage increase specifically. And I mean, if it's the maintenance of the health insurance and it was really good health insurance, I mean, that's good because often it's like they try to make the workers pay more for the insurance. And if they fought back that, that's good. But then the improvements to working conditions not being outlined uh, is, you know, yeah, that vagueness is seems like it might just be a couple little things. Yeah, because I went back and reread um, like our notes when we originally talked about it, just to refamiliarize myself with specifically what these workers were fighting for again, because, you know, we cover so many of these strikes. And one of the big ones that they had talked, well, there was a couple, two big pieces that they talked about as far as working conditions. One, the amount of forced overtime they were required to work. That I've seen no mention of in any of the stuff I've seen about the resolution of the strike. The other was the, that they're only given, I think, three paid sick days a year. Wow. Which, yeah, so that wasn't reduced, (laughs) which is good. But as far as I can tell, it also wasn't increased. So, I I mean, look, on the one hand, these folks, they, they were out there. They stood together. Like, they had a lot of community support. And they did, genuinely. They won three times. The, the wage increase that, that they were offered, which is, is not a victory they would have gotten without their union. No doubt mm-hmm. whatsoever. And like all solidarity and congratulations to the workers for going out there and sticking up for this stuff and actually staying out on the picket line for a third of a year. Yeah. Um, I think but, that this is a good opportunity for us to uh, direct more people to the Discord, like we were mentioning, because uh, when we get actual details about this, we'll make sure to put it in the episode discussion. Yeah. Uh, give a couple more pieces of information once we actually see what's going on. Um, but but mostly I, we're just kind of excited to uh, to see at least a at least a minor, maybe even like a a pretty decent victory here. Yeah, no, I mean absolutely. I just the only the the, the one thing I worry about with this one is because they mentioned in in, in one of the articles I read about this, where one union representative, Shad Clark said that many members had to rely on going to credit cards or loans to get by by the end of the strike. And the mention of that, which is not surprising considering the difficulties, you know, that striking workers face, how, I mean, how many strikes by the BCTGM have we covered? Like even, even if they had a well-stocked strike fund, they've had so much activity over the last six months that it would be difficult for it not to be drained. So I'm not, I'm not blaming them. Well, we have Frito-Lay, is it Kellogg's workers as well? Is Kellogg's workers? Nabisco. Yeah, Nabisco. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, bunch. We're about to talk about Hershey later in this show. Yeah. Uh, which, so, so there's a, been a ton going on for BCTGM. So no doubt, like on, they've been fighting on a ton of fronts, which has been great to see. But I have to wonder if the fact that we haven't heard anything about changes to overtime or sick policy, because again, if there were wins there, I would have expected them to be mentioned in BCTGM statement. They very rarely miss an opportunity to, and, and it's correct to, to do brag, so, to, yeah. to, to brag about the victories, which they should do. Um, mm-hmm. And so since we haven't heard anything about that, I have to imagine there wasn't anything significant that was changed about those in the new contract. And I can only assume that that's partially because the company was, to a certain extent, able to wait out the workers. And so that's not to, like, you know, criticize the strike or anything. It's just yeah. pointing out it's some of the difficulties the information, you run into. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, like you said, when we get more specific information on what's in the contract, what changed, what didn't, we'll definitely, you know, post that in the discord and keep folks posted. But, but as a final word on it, as you said, like 
it was it took a lot of courage and effort to stay out on the picket line for that long and they did absolutely win a much bigger raise than they would have had they not done so and so you know as always hats off to these workers for standing up for each other absolutely yeah uh then we're kind of doing a follow-up from our episode last week in the next Mm -hmm. one in the next two pieces because uh the first one is to show how the ufcw didn't necessarily need to make that concessionary thing uh and then we'll get to the second one afterwards which i don't i don't even want to give a hint to it because yeah yeah uh let's start with uh up in up in ontario canada where uh the Gig Workers United, the actual Gig Workers Union, won a. Is this is a uh, legislative win? Is it not, or is it just a it, contract? It, it's a judicial win, basically. Judicial win. Okay. Yeah. So, like as we discussed last week, we had the whole session, like story about UFCW signing this weird backroom deal to basically serve as a company union for Uber. Uh, to represent workers paid by Uber uh, throughout all of Canada in exchange for giving up the fight against misclassification. Um, Basically saying, fine, we will accept that workers are going to be misclassified as long as you give us a trade of some slightly better wages, slightly better benefits. However, and so just after we reported that story, like this Monday, um, the, the 28th, a ruling came down from the Ontario Ministry of Labor that Uber Eats work drivers specifically, and but this extends to the whole company and, and I believe to gig drivers generally, that those workers are in fact employees. They meet all of the requirements to be covered by Ontario's Employment Standards Act, not like some independent contractor, not some special carve out that no, the Uber drivers are in fact employees of Uber. And so Uber must immediately comply with the standard labor regulations for these workers. Yeah. I, that, and that's really what we were talking about last time anyway, in the, in this idea that you could entrench some sort of, uh, second tier for gig workers that is, you know, based on prop 22 legislation, uh, is, is just really an appalling way to to do negotiations and uh and luckily the gig workers united were working with you know actual gig workers and created enough power to um create this change i i think that that's awesome and we hope that it spreads to more places yeah because like so i'll put an asterisk here i'm certainly not an expert on anything related to how canada's laws or, or legislature works but from reading a couple of stories about this i believe this only applies to workers in ontario so i don't believe it, it applies to the entire country i believe this is a specifically yeah. like province related ruling um which i mean ontario is you know one of the, the most heavily populated parts of canada so so there's a bonus there but i mean like the specific changes that we're going to see from this ruling are huge because the Having to live up to the Employment Standards Act in Ontario means they have to pay drivers for all the time they're working, not just, quote unquote, engaged time, which is basically (laughs) the time that a driver actually is driving to pick somebody up or when they're in the car. Um, 
you know, that's like if you were at your job and only got paid when a, when a customer came up to the counter, but they, right. they didn't pay you while you were standing there. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Um, although that's, well, that, but that's part of the thing I will just say, like not to get off track, but like that's part of the reason it's so vital to fight this sort of misclassification because if fucking CVS could get away with only paying you when you're in, in like engaged with a customer or when you're actually stocking shelves, they would do it. Like, yeah. Well, the, and like as well, in my job search, I was just, Oh, go ahead, John. It's piecework is what it is. Right. They want, they want to return you to piecework. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I've, I've been doing a little job search recently and I got like kind of accosted via text message from some shitty like company that was that turns out the job was 100% commission and i was looking at some <laughs> reviews where you Fuck literally that. almost have to pay to start the job and yeah. uh and like that that is ridiculous it is unacceptable that you should that you would work for free for someone it's it's unconscionable <laughs> well and i mean that's part of why you'll see so much press for the sort of like hustle and like grind set sort of like ideological constructs because that sort of ideology is very exploitable for that sort of thing because you can say hey you'll get paid as hard as you work if it's a hundred percent commission if you grind harder than anybody else you'll make more money and it's like oh well not really you'll make more money for the company not for you yeah, and that because that's the thing is it's not it, it isn't the uh, thing that we say which is work as hard as you're paid which in that case would be nothing. Uh, okay. It is it, they're like oh no you get paid as much as you work, uh, which is also not true. It's an, it's the, one of those those little trick things like the uh, competitive wages or or you know uh, what we think is your standard of living and all that bullshit. Right. And so, but thankfully, uh, now these, the, the Uber drivers in Ontario will also be entitled to vacation pay overtime, and Uber will be prohibited from deactivating their account without notice, which is, that's another thing that, cause that I think is, is sometimes lost in the discussion about gig workers. Cause it's certainly, it's not an area that I personally have really thought about that much. So uh, I just wanted to highlight it is that like, you can the wake way up these- and not have a job and not even know. Exactly. The the whole idea of being having your account deactivated from Uber or Lyft or DoorDash or Grubhub or whatever one of these services, if you work for them, people just be like, oh, you got kicked out of an app. It's like that's the same thing as being fired. Like it's it's a much right. more like grave event for people than I think it's treated because there's like, oh, you got kicked off an app. Who cares? But it's yeah, like, it's not like Twitter. You know, it's not like you got right. your account suspended on Twitter and you can no longer post cringe. Right. Yeah, if getting your Twitter account suspended meant anything, I would be one of the most put-upon people in the world. And we all know that's not true. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So Gig Workers United said in a statement after this ruling, we are unwilling to accept carve-outs, pay for engaged time only, for instance, or second-tier status, representation, and rights. We've gone through the channels available to contest our misclassification, and this victory supports what workers know. Misclassification is the root of the injustices we face every day. The solution has been here the whole time. Enforcement of the existing employment standards with full and equal rights for gig workers. Wow, it's 
that's it's not even like that profound of a statement. I mean, it could, might feel that way because of the way that conditions actually are on the ground. But to be like, uh, yeah, so we want to uh, be treated like workers, as you know, <laughs> yeah. since we're doing work. Uh, it, it just is mind-boggling that that needs to be fought for, in my opinion, and and that anyone would say otherwise. Uh, speaking of saying otherwise, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, uh, I certainly wish that too, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Uh we actually have in the from the outgoing uh lame duck uh section of the Teamsters, they have followed UFCW's lead from Canada yep. over in Washington State, right? Was Washington yeah. State. Yeah. Um, okay. I Right. We'll get into this. I will give the Teamsters credit here. They have at least been, I think, a bit more honest than UFCW in this case. So I think they this, have to be because they're <laughs> they're about to face a rank and file uh, like uh, leadership. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the just for because we keep referencing this, so I guess even though this isn't a story about this, but I will let people know the 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 Teamsters United Reform Slate takes of office officially, I believe, at the end of this month, uh, at the end of March. Um, so right now it is still the Hoffa leadership. But um, so, yeah, this is a very similar story to what we talked about last week in Canada. But this time, instead of with the UFCW, it's with the Teamsters, where uh, last Wednesday, February 23rd, the Washington State House of Representatives passed a bill supported by both gig companies and the Teamsters that supposedly is like looking out for gig workers rights, but (laughs) is basically a copy of the shit that they're doing in Canada where they're essentially saying, no, no, we understand that gig workers need to need, need an improved situation. So we'll give them a portable benefits package while permanently calling them independent contractors. There, there shouldn't be things that are supported by both the union and the company, unless it's mm-hmm. like everybody, you know, tie their shoes before they show up at the <laughs> building or some common sense yeah. shit like that. Because it's like the only time the union and the company should agree on something is when the union is forcing the company to reluctantly sign a contract. That's it. Absolutely. A hundred percent correct. Um, and so... This requires uh, some explanation of the, of the situation in Washington state, because, you know, as with any of these stories in the U S there are of course a patchwork of different laws regarding how gig workers are treated because everyone loves federalism folks. Uh, we love having completely different legal situations for employment in every subgroup of the country. But so the the bill that was passed it passed um i believe like 55 to 42 in in the house um Which, hb 20 2076 I mean, would being an anti worker law i think you can pretty much guarantee it's going to make it the rest of the way through yeah it it just got sent to the senate they um had a pu- they were supposed to have a public hearing on Sunday I believe about it I haven't had a chance to see if that happened um so what this bill provides is it would give gig workers in Washington state access to some sick pay it would provide a legal avenue to appeal deactivation and it would give workers access to workers comp it would some, also in some situations yeah, we'll get into this. It it also does represent 
a wage increase for some gig workers, but uh, there's asterisks on all of these. I love an asterisk. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite um, ASCII character. <laughs> <laughs> really, really the asshole of, of symbols. Yeah, truly. <laughs> but so as, as we mentioned, like the, the, the big poison pill here is that in exchange for those things to get the company's support, it, writes into law the misclassification of these words. It says gig workers are independent contractors. They are not employees officially instead of this just being a loophole, which is how it's operating in states right now, Um, which that means that companies can avoid paying them the minimum wage. They can avoid paying them OT. They can avoid paying for work expenses incurred on the job, and they can avoid them for being able to form real unions because that's been one of the big barriers to gig worker organizing as we've talked about before because u.s antitrust regulation like so much of u.s supposed progressive law does a lot less these days to keep companies from becoming monopolies and a lot more to prevent workers who are misclassified from forming unions because it's because if they're classified as independent contractors then they can't form a union because that's considered a like illegal trust and price fixing right exactly Uh, the other thing that this bill does and this is is very important specifically for washington state although there's a lot of other states where this is probably going to be tried to be copied is it specifically removes the ability of like cities and towns within washington state to put their own regulations on top of that and the reason that's important is that Seattle passed one of the most, like, the broadest bills in the country to improve situations for gig workers. They actually imposed a minimum wage and, and like, basically minimum payment time for they, – they weren't able because they're a city to, like, you know, change the classification of the workers. But they were able to force the companies to provide the workers with much better compensation. And so this bill would completely remove Seattle's ability to do that in the future. They, it leaves everything up to the state. Which as we, you know, when you look through like, you know, American politics generally, urban areas tend to have more progressive like membership, more ability for workers to influence politicians, although that's always, you know, hamstrung by bourgeois democracies, you know, nonsense. But so removing the ability for Seattle to do that really is stands in favor for the company. Um, Like what we would be looking at for workers under this bill is that waiting time when you don't have a a customer still not compensated travel miles without a passenger in the car still not compensated and your base fare for driving somebody would only be between three and five dollars and 17 cents a trip and this basically it establishes two different tiers of pay basically if you're in seattle the rate is $1.38 per mile driven with a passenger in the car. And in the rest of the state, it's $1.17 per passenger mile and 34 cents a minute as opposed to 59 cents a minute in Seattle. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. So I know that's a lot of details and it's, and I, I know it's hard to, because at least for me anyway, as somebody who hasn't, you know, worked for one of these gig companies, it can be kind of difficult to translate that into like an hourly wage because right. piecework is so weird <laughs> in yeah, that so- way. Uh, in, and in part of it, it says that there's like a base fare that uh, that the drivers would get between three dollars and five seventeen per trip. Is that of, and that is plus 
the per that's, mile? Yeah, that's, that's plus the rate per mile and the rate per minute. But what it means is basically if you have an incredibly short trip, if for some reason somebody's like, oh, drive me around the block or something, right. you might only be paid like $4 for that <laughs> under this bill. Which, which is disgraceful. Yeah, because, again, that's one of the things with this is that the companies and this bill classify the working time as only the time from when you get the, the, the job, the call from the app, to driving to them, picking them up, and taking them on the trip. None of the time waiting, none of the time driving around, none of the time like getting yourself to a more central location after you drop them off. That's all considered, oh, that's just your time. We don't need to pay you for that. Well, right. and I think that one of the other important things about this is if we can move to one of the, the next uh, conditions is the offering of workers' compensation and mm-hmm. the, cha- the, you know, if someone was to be injured while driving, those times, it, it actually basically puts that exact same carve out right over that where if you are uh, going to pick someone up, have someone in your vehicle, wait, nope, that's it. That's the end of the list. Uh, you are able to get workers' compensation, but all other times, you are not entitled to any level of workers' compensation if even, say, you were parked there waiting for the uh you know a, a ride and someone smashed into your vehicle and and hurt you and then suddenly you got uh afterwards you got a gig that wouldn't count you would yeah. be on the job and you would not be eligible for workers compensation yeah no exactly it's it it makes absolutely no sense when you actually like explain it to somebody and how you actually do this work like it, the the idea that the time between rides you are not on the job is not flexibility. It's just a lie. <laughs> like right. it's people aren't doing two rides and then I'm going to go do some errands and I'm going to go to McDonald's and then I'm going to go to the gym. Then I'm going to do two rides. It's like, no, this is something, this is people's jobs. Like, They are doing this for long extended periods of time. That time is going to the company and it should be compensated. Well, and and like the the whole myth that you could ever just in the middle of a busy day, go do a couple of rides is insane because you don't know if they're going to take 20 minutes each or an mm -hmm. hour a piece. And you don't know how many fucking miles away from your starting location you're going to end up afterwards. Exactly. Exactly. hundred percent. And, and as you were saying with workman's comp, the sick dit leave that this law applies to workers also only accrues based on that quote unquote engaged time. So that, that also puts these workers at a disadvantage. And so to get into why the Teamsters are supporting this, because this is something that uh, I, I feel like they, there was at least a little more information here than there was with the UFCW. So, I mean, we had a, you had, we had a line from Teamsters local 117 vice president, Brenda Wiest, who said that the bill, quote, exemplifies Washington State's spirit of leadership and innovation, end quote. Which, <laughs> that's that a, sucks. Yeah. That's, no, spirit like, that's of a, innovation, where you, we can innovate worse working conditions. Yeah, but so the explanation that I've seen thrown around from people who, who know about this, people who have been working on this, is that basically this is, the Teamsters are endorsing this largely out of extortion, like, because the gig companies have essentially made a threat that like Uber and Lyft specifically as the big ones, that if they don't get this bill, that they will do what they did in California. They will dump hundreds of million, and they're trying to do in Massachusetts right now, that they will dump hundreds of millions of dollars into a campaign for a ballot initiative where they will outspend 
the Teamsters and any other organized labor group by probably a factor of 10 or 100 to 1 on propaganda spending, and that they will try and get the people of Washington to vote for a similar poison pill proposition to Prop 22 to, to, that will only codify into law the misclassification of the workers and will give them less benefits than this bill would. So they're basically saying like, oh, that's a nice... Nice, uh, nice, you know, portable benefits package you got there. It'd be a shame if anything happened to it. Yeah. So, and, and the Teamsters response to that is essentially, well, you know, this sucks. We don't like misclassification, but what better can we do? Well, it sounds like the line is, oh, we'll take what we can get. Yeah. But that's not, for one, that's not the, that's not a union mentality. No. A union mentality is fighting for better conditions for the workers, like even in the face of adversity, I, I, I well, because imagine, imagine if this was the attitude that was taken during the fight for the eight-hour day, like right. where if 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 co- like some coal company or some fucking factory owners came out to the t- the original Teamsters back in the fucking like early like twentieth century, and it said, okay, yeah, yeah, we know you want the eight-hour day. But fuck you. <laughs> we have more money than you. And here, we're going to get the legislature to put in a bill for an 11-hour day, which is less than you're working now. Yeah. So instead of 12, you know, we're we're lower, lowering it. So you should just, you know, capitulate. Yeah. If you don't support that, you're never going to get eight hours. It'll never happen. Like, you're just, it, you're it, just not realistic. You're just not serious about this. Right. If, if you ask for more than that or less than that or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the thing that's so frustrating about this, because like they're basically saying this is the best we can do. We might as well take this bill and get something rather than fight and lose, which is is that sort of defeatism has been poison in the labor movement for decades now. Like it is anathema to organizing. It's very frustrating. And is this really going to get the workers to engage with the Teamsters? Is this like going to give them the ability to go and actually organize the people and move towards a more rank and file movement to be like, okay, so now we have this and now we're, you know, having our meetings and then we're going to fight and we're going to change the legislation or whatever. But no, this is just some, some literal, like the, the, some bourgeois politics that are that are external to the workers struggle. Yeah, and I mean we've also seen, right, like repeatedly over and over again that when you'll have these big business union type like leadership groups who are like, "Oh, this is the best we can do like the machinists tried to do in New York." Mm-hmm. So this is the best we can get. We got to take this portable benefits package, misclassificate, we're never going to beat misclassification. And then you see a, an organic movement like the like Los Deliveristas Unidos in New York City who like shut down big sections of Manhattan to be like, hey, this is fucked. You have to give us better working conditions and won a bunch of really needed reforms or the story we just talked about, about the gig workers organized by the postal workers mm-hmm. in Canada who now have won proper classification for all the drivers in Ontario. And so like these fights are winnable no matter how hard they look like they are. And it's never the right thing 
for our unions to just give up and accept bullshit like this classification of workers as independent contractors, which dooms them to an endless cycle of piecework that once you put that in law, once you agree to it, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to ever get that out of law again. Oh yeah. Once, once it's passed with the, the written down backing of a labor union, like that's going to make it so much harder to beat misclassification in the future than to defeat it now when it's being used as a loophole. So, yeah. and, and one thing that I also appreciate, a very good insight, I think, because this is coming out of a, um, a piece from Labor Notes, uh, which, as always, everyone should read Labor Notes. Labor Notes rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but they pointed out something that I, I certainly never would have thought of, which is that once this sort of thing is reified in law as, as this is fine, this is normal, this is acceptable – there's nothing to stop all sorts of companies from applying this exact same logic to any other job. And they specifically noted that UPS recently purchased a gig delivery company called Rody. And so mm-hmm. if this is the sort of thing the Teamsters want to say is fine and acceptable, well, what's their response going to be when then UPS says, oh, hey, so you know how that all that stuff we were having you guys do at UPS? Well, we're going to now take, uh, say, 10% of that, 15% of that, 25% of that, eventually all of that, and we're going to have our roadie workers, our gig workers deliver that because right. it's, it's more efficient. It's what we need to do to keep the business thriving. Thriving like, with the record profits on on the fucking ledger, but but that'll be their argument because like how many times have we seen it? Like that's how these corporate PR flags work. And the mm-hmm. Teamsters, if they if this passes with their support, like w- how are they going to be able to oppose it? That's the thing that like I'm so worried about with this shit is that like this stuff getting legalized and written into law as normal will have ripple effects that I think that these unions that are supporting this stuff are being very short-sighted about. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Teamsters, pull your support for this. Yeah, this yeah. stuff sucks. Don't it's- support this sort of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's incredibly regressive and anti-worker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we'll be following this. The Senate's going to be voting on it sometime shortly, and if it's approved, it would go into effect at the end of September of this year, so just six months from now. So... Uh, this is it's right on this, so we'll we'll keep folks posted in the Discord on this story. Yeah, and in a not well, not exactly similar, but in a, in another anti-worker story, uh, we head on back to good old Amazon. This time, you know, we're still we're in uh, the we're we're talking about the ALU workers and uh, how Amazon called the cops on them and got a bunch of workers arrested. Uh, yeah, this is fucked up. I mean, I, shit, I, rem- remember the first time you heard Amazon and you were like, what, like the rainforest? Yeah. <laughs> and your friends were like, no, they sell books. And now it's like, oh, they're the biggest company in the <laughs> yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. And their their insane psycho CEO is launching people into fake space. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, so what happened in this situation was um, – uh, Chris Smalls and a couple other workers. Uh, this has happened before. Not the not the cops calling part, but the, it is a, it has been exacerbated to this issue. Is they were delivering some food to the workers in the Amazon warehouse. Something that they've done before. They uh, has not necessarily been a problem. And and even during this process was 
like was being de-escalated until suddenly the cops were called and the workers were being harassed by the police and then eventually arrested. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of parts to this. I mean, obviously it can be very difficult. Thankfully, you know, uh, Christian Smalls has a very uh, active Twitter presence. So we were able to get a bunch of information direct from him. But, you know, it's always tough with the news releases on this sort of stuff because they just print whatever the fucking cops tell them. But yeah, it basically like you had workers who were on their break, were in a break room. So non-work time, non-work location. And they're just, you have these union organizers who are providing the workers with food. And Amazon apparently, you know, has just decided, nope, we're not going to deal with that anymore. We don't care if this is an unfair labor practice or not. They, I mean, their spokesman put out a statement that said, Mr. Smalls, who is not employed by Amazon, has repeatedly trespassed despite multiple warnings. Today, when police officers asked Mr. Smalls to leave, he instead chose to escalate the situation and the police made their own decision on how to respond. (laughs) I mean, call, well, uh, let's, let's uh, put this out there. When you call the police, on uh, a black person, you are basically trying to commit murder. That's that's Correct. the first thing. Uh, but then also, uh, based on what uh, Chris Christian was saying, uh, he was basically on his way out. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he he he. There was a Twitter thread where he that he posted right after he was released. Where he said that they had, you know, the Amazon management asked him to leave while he was delivering food to workers who were on their break. And then he said, quote, moments later, the NYPD swarmed me, asking me to leave in two minutes. I calmly explained that I was delivering food and was planning on leaving anyway. I was waiting for a worker to come outside who's the owner of the vehicle. But the police completely ignored anything I said. They were already being aggressive by the time other workers and Amazon labor union members came out to my aid as things escalated. And then, you know, they were so these these organizers were arrested they were taken you know down to the precinct and they were given a summons to appear in court in mid-march for trespassing but uh immediately after that as part of his his thread small said amazon labor union will not give in we will continue feeding our fellow co-workers weekly like we've been doing for the last 10 months please continue supporting donating and volunteering oh yeah yeah i didn't actually know that they've been feeding the workers every week like that that's something that i that is a piece of information that i actually did not uh get from some of the reports previously yeah i mean they've been posting about doing like barbecues and like handing out pizza and stuff but it's been in there it's the stuff they've mostly been posting has been like out at the the, like yeah in their tent near the bus stop um right but I mean, I also didn't realize that they'd been doing this for almost a year at this point, which is, is, but, and I think that underlines too, like the nonsense in Amazon statement where they're like, these people are trespassing. Well, it's like, well, they've been feeding the workers for 10 months and just now you're telling them that they're trespassing. It's like, come on, like you are just trying to disrupt the labor organizing and you're using the police as hired goons to do it, which unsurprisingly they are more than happy to do i heard i saw like a bunch of like tweets and statements about people who witnessed the arrest saying that like the 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 cops were like like basically chumming it up with the amazon management people being like yeah yeah we'll take care of this that sort of thing like you know exactly what cops always do and yeah it's 
it, this is a big part of the reason why we're always like, you know, for instance, why we were mad at Trumpka, former head of the AFL-CIO, mm-hmm. for refusing to kick the fucking police unions out of the AFL because cops are not workers. This, as we talked about in the oppressive state apparatus like episodes, like this is one of their primary functions, fucking up working class organizing. Like, so this is a perfect example. You know, if you ta- find somebody who are like, oh, there's a cop union, that's a union. It's like, no, this is what the cop union does. It attacks other unions. So I don't know. This shit is just so fucking frustrating, but it's it, very good to see that like ALU has not skipped a beat. And in fact, have, have, have already filed unfair labor practice charges uh-huh. against Amazon for this the day after the arrest. And rightly so. Cause I mean, this is just egregious. I mean, this mm-hmm. isn't quite on the same level as, um, those South African workers who got pulled into a taxi and then beaten. But I mean, it's kind of approaching that level. Yeah. I actually did. I forgot. That's a pretty, pretty good parallel. I mean, I think that, uh, and, and the police were pretty rough on the workers. There's a video of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, so it's, I don't even think it's that far fetched to say that, that, that is what, what would have escalated had there not been, you know, tons of cameras on the situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, for sure. Like yet another reason it's like always film the cops. Um, right. Cause yeah, and no, they, for sure. They were like, Oh, stop filming us. It's on the body cameras. It's like, you can't trust <laughs> the fucking cops. They're, oh, they yeah, turn yeah. those who things you, off. Who do you turn your body camera into at the end of the day? <laughs> and, yeah. And how likely am I to get that footage from them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in their, in their, their filing of unfair labor practice charges, they, they pointed out, uh, rightly so that back in December, as we talked about the NLRB did issue a, like several requirements to Amazon during, as part of a settlement for, you know, uh, the rash of unfair labor practice charges, like committed by the company in various organizing drives, both here in, mm-hmm. in well, like both in New York city, as well as in, in Bessemer, where in that agreement, they specifically said that they would not limit workers' ability to engage with their colleagues in non-work areas during non-work time. And this seems pretty clear-cut that that's exactly what was going on. Yeah, well, and also, like, when would you have a right to monitor <laughs> right. your employees' non-work activities during non-work time on non-work premises? Like, you're just going to install a Amazon, like a fucking ring you know, camera in their house and be like, oh. I see you smoking weed at nine <laughs> in the evening. I mean, you say that, but like, uh, I know <laughs> that shit's coming. Like, <laughs> but yeah, in, in their, in their, their filing, they stated amazon.com services has violated the national settlement agreement. Accordingly, we requested an expedited investigation and immediate relief in light of the upcoming election. And, Speaking of upcoming elections Mm -hmm. and speaking of unfair labor practices by Amazon, this was all happening at the same time that Amazon was also ramping up repression in Bessemer as we approach the redo election down there with the RWDSU, where according to the union, the company has been removing union literature from break rooms that was placed there during non-working time, which as we have talked about so many times on the show, stuff in the break room, if there is any messages about non-work, anything on a bulletin board in a break room, 
you can post union literature there and the company cannot take it down. Right. Yeah, where they post those coupons for the shoes or the the local food deals that you can get on mm-hmm. your break, that that is a justification of as non-work related, which means union stuff's allowed. Yep. Yeah. And they've also said that the, that Amazon is trying to limit workers' access inside the facility to no more than 30 minutes before or after a shift starts, presumably to basically try and limit the like workers' a- access to their own coworkers. Yeah, so you can't like, walk around handing out grilled chicken and noodles, the right. greatest crime in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And so RWDSU has said, like, this is all unfair labor practices. And also... They, they specifically have once again called out Amazon's use of captive audience meetings, mm-hmm. saying that they violate the rights of workers to choose whether or not to engage in pro or anti-union activity. Obviously, uh, this is not a, a show that has a huge amount of faith <laughs> in the NLRB, but they have expressed a willingness to examine the legality of captive audience meetings mm-hmm. when not paired with a similar amount of time for the union to present its case. So we'll see what happens, but this would be the perfect case. If, if, if the end, if the board is serious about that for them to take this up. So, yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think that it would be way better to just get rid of the, the union busting meetings altogether. Yes. Uh, rather than than do some sort of uh, you know both sides ism of oh no we're gonna let you know the the union have you know a couple minutes in here to be like and this is why the union's good but you know that's yeah because that's I also think pa- I I just oh, I'll I'll just finish uh, I I think that because that will also because often union busting meetings are specifically framed as uh oh we're just giving you information we're not telling you which way to vote although a lot of the times they are telling you which way to vote um but that that sort of thing it would just give them be like oh so now we can just be like blatantly anti-union we can start spreading ridiculous lies and it won't be unfair because we are so kind as to let the union come in here and talk for 10 minutes (laughs) right right yeah no exactly so I mean, we'll see. So we've had these unfair labor practice charges are filed. Um, the workers in Staten Island, I believe, are set to have an in-person election for their union sometime this month. Um, and we know that you know the, the, the ballots have already gone out for the election in Bessemer, which is a mail-in election, as we discussed with Amazon not removing that mailbox. Right. Um, and so that... The results for that are due to be counted up at the end of the month. So, you know, big month for organizing at Amazon. Yeah. Well, uh, moving on from our, our staple of, of, you know, misclassification of workers and Amazon workers, we're going go to go going back to a classic. Uh, we're, doing a, we're doing some factory unionization here, folks. Oh, yeah. uh, in Stewart's Draft, Virginia, there's a Hershey's plant that has 1,300 workers that ha- that are in the process of voting to unionize with the BCTGM. And uh, I, I mean, this has been going on for a little while, this, this drive. Uh, I've actually been contacted a little bit about this because there was not a lot of information about it. There's a little bit more now, but I still think that it is not a very well-publicized union drive. Yeah. Um, as far as I have seen. Well, Willy Wonka's friends in the press. 
have subs- <laughs> have suppressed it quite a bit. That's right. He's just well, because he just keeps going to these newspaper editors and giving them everlasting gobstoppers. That's right. And and then I mean, how are they able to come up with headlines? Because you know those things never end. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, for all of the corporate PR that you get from a company like Hershey's, which, you know, has a very specific image they're trying to throw out there. Uh, working conditions at these places does not really seem to reflect that PR image. Uh, for instance, the workers there have come to refer to the, the plant as the Hershey prison. Wow. And, and that their time at home is when they're on home release. Wow. Um, yeah, so this there were so many. This is why, like I, I mentioned this at the top when we were talking about the BCTGM, like so many of the working conditions these workers talked about. I'm like, this is could be the Nabisco strike. This could be the Frito Lay strike. This seems like this is just every single like food production facility in this country works on these same principles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess just as a a spoiler for some upcoming episodes. We are going to be doing some overtime stuff to talk about the decline of American unionism coming up, and we will be getting into why those conditions are the same in so many places. Yep. But yeah. anyway, so these workers report a lot of the same stuff that we, we talk about all the time. You know, having to work insane hours and a shitload of forced overtime, as well as basically having no days off. Like they had, there were more perfect union put out a video where they interviewed a bunch of workers and former workers there where they talked about working 28 days, 32 days. And one woman even talked about working over 70 days in a row without a day off. That's fucking I ridiculous. I can't, I, I can't, can't even work nine days. Nine is my yeah. limit. Mm-hmm. Nine is it. After nine, I'm just throwing up middle fingers and, and irresponsibly quitting jobs. Yeah. yeah. No, a- absolutely. Like I I cannot fathom having to work 70 days in a row mm. without a single day off. Like and of course, Hershey got these workers classed as essential workers at the beginning of the pandemic. Of course. Are you telling me that chocolate isn't essential? This is the thing that gives happiness. I thought people were sad because of the pandemic, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, right. Hershey's chocolate sucks anyway. Tastes like vomit. It is essential that our, our ruling class is able to get their treats. Yeah. So, Well, and like... like- Many other places that we've covered in these situations, there are multiple tiers of employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them uh, have pensions. Others, eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, like many of these pl- workplaces, these workers have a two-tiered contract since 2008, where tier one workers get paid two to three dollars an hour more. They get a, as you said, they get a pension. They also get more vacation time than the tier two workers for doing the exact same work, which is fucked. Yeah. <laughs> and so now the difference here being that this is not a result of a like of a shitty contract. union. C- concession right exactly this is just because these workers aren't unionized this was just imposed unilaterally on them by hershey's and one thing that the workers pointed out about this is that part of the reason that they're forced to work day after day after day after day after day without breaks and why they're forced to work so much forced overtime is not just because of labor intensification although that's of course the primary driver but it's also because hershey at this factory has all sorts of old fucked up equipment 
that needs to be either replaced or seriously overhauled. But they refuse to do that because that would, you know, shut down that line for a bit or require them to make a capital investment. But because of that, a lot of the equipment breaks down all the time, which means that there's basically an irregular workflow where work has to stop for a bit for something to be repaired with some duct tape and a hammer. And then the, the company just tacks on OT to the workers to make up for the lost time. So they're never able to catch up because the, the equipment is never actually fixed. Yeah, so incredibly irresponsible on the company's behalf when, you know, I'm guessing if this was a, a worker-run business, the, they might just like be like, hey, uh, we're going to have to slow down production just for a little bit, fix these things up, and then we're going to be back running at, at normal pace or whatever, you know? But like, I mean, how, that's how many just times not, not going to happen. How many times have you talked to somebody who works somewhere who's like, I bet the company would save more money if they just replaced the machine I work on that keeps breaking, mm-hmm. and you, sta- you, you stand there and you're like, Oh, run through the numbers for me real quick. And they're like, well, it's down about a third of the time. And it would only take one of those third of the time incidents to replace the machine. So you do the math. And it's like, <laughs> huh, that does make a ton of sense. Maybe you should be in charge of the machine and the building it's in. <laughs> That's right. No, absolutely. And then the last thing, though, that I just want to mention, because this reminded me a little bit of the the shit that the BNSF workers, those railway workers are also are going through, which is Hershey's attendance policy. So anytime the workers take a sick day, even if it's a sick day where they have like accrued sick time, they are allowed to use, they get a point on their record for having a unscheduled absence, even though they have paid sick days. And if you get to three and a half points in a year, So that's three days and half a shift that you took off that you weren't scheduled for. Again, even if you have accrued sick time, you are then sent to company-mandated counseling and drug testing. And drug testing. Nice. They love to throw that one in there. And if you get to five points in a year, you get fired. So So you, you, you literally can't have more than five sick days in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. So if you catch COVID once... Right. You're fired. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's one way to keep COVID cases at your plant down, I guess. You just yeah. fire anybody who gets COVID. I mean, it seems like an incredibly fucked up well, and evil way to do it. That's but. a really <laughs> great way to keep COVID cases up, but reported COVID cases down. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Well, especially because if people end up in precarity and, you know, we know what happens then, people end up in, uh, if, especially if they end up with losing housing or having to move or doing other things like they just put the they're they're not they don't have spaces to be safe and to to recover from being sick yeah absolutely and so you know this stuff all built up over the course of the pandemic and so workers started to organize and so this like there are other hershey's plants that are organized with the bctgm and so that was the logical place for them to go and i mean a couple of these employees had quotes where like this uh, one guy, James Gibson, <laughs> said, you know, people are going on their breaks and just not coming back. And uh, wow. Big energy. Uh, not something <laughs> the employees should have to, you know, feel pressured to do, but big, big mood. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, you know, the workers got together. They've been organizing in secret. And then they announced back in January the the official, you know, push for a union election. And shockingly. Hershey did not just voluntarily choose to recognize the union and went out and hired 
you know, one of our many nemeses here on Work Stoppage, uh, the Labor Relations Institute. Didn't we talk about them at the intro? Oh, last episode, I think different? they came up. Is that different those... from the... They're the, one of those the right, that, oh, it's the Right to Work Institute that that's I'm the Right to Work Foundation. Yeah. I was going to say sound the fucking same. Well, they all have NGO naming convention where, <laughs> yes. where it's like, okay, we've built a thing that does the most horrible shit imaginable. Now give it a name that sounds like it does the opposite. Yes, no, absolutely. And so you know, LRI is going through their standard shit. They're doing you know captive audience meetings, all the other stuff. They also put up an anti-union website. We are Hershey SD for Stewart's Drive. Uh, com that claims that union leaders quote gamble with employees wages and benefits end quote <laughs> that the that hershey's plants quote always put its employees first they also you know of course call the union a business and then even went so far as to accuse the bctgm of criminal activity which like what like <laughs> I don't even know what they mean by that, but that's that honestly, that's further than I usually see a lot of this anti-union stuff go. Yeah. I mean, I want to just address the first point, the idea that the the um organizers are gambling with the workers' money. That's just saying that like someone's paid to explain to the workers their rights and uh the company's gonna be anti-union, and so the union might not happen, and so there's your gamble. Like well, and it's it, they're also trying <laughs> to say like, like if your if your union encourages you to go on strike, then you're gambling with whether or not we'll retain you as employees and you will actually get the contract that you want, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, look, buddy, gambling isn't always bad. Gambling is just bad because in the United States, you're supposed to gamble at casinos and they're rigged. Some gambles are worth taking. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, but even then, like, what are they saying? They're saying... You can't stop us from repressing you. Why don't you just give in? Why don't right. you just give up? Why like clearly it's a risk because we are making it a risk. Right. Yeah. And you know, in addition to this stupid website, like they workers have been monitored outside the plant. They've had their social media presence spied on. They've been told that they can't talk about the union at work, which is ob- like just a Not blatant viol- yeah, that's a blatant violation of workers' rights. Uh, I mean, one worker, Janice Taylor, who had worked at the plant for over a decade and was active in the union drive, was targeted by management for her organizing activity and was fired for taking a break 14 minutes longer than allowed. So she worked there for, again, for over a decade, took a break that was 44 minutes instead of 30 minutes, and Hershey fired her, and that's not supposed to be retaliation. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, over the course of this union busting drive, like they, all this stuff has added up. So BCTGM has fired, filed over a dozen ULP charges against Hershey for surveillance, intimidation and retaliation. And I mean, one worker described his, the, their feelings at the plant saying, I walk in every day expecting to be fired. That's something I've carried with me over, over the months. Yeah. I just feel a sense of violation of being forced into these meetings and listen what I call propaganda. I never dreamed that I would experience something so negative in my life as being forced to go to these meetings, referring to the captive audience meetings. Yeah, I mean, that's really how it feels. It really does in in those situations. Uh, I mean, 
I, any and without a union, I mean, I've I've been in the situation where I felt like you know I'm at risk at every single moment. I mean, imagine during the during this particularly gru- like grueling uh, union drive, it's it's far worse, and especially in the face of the fact that like Hershey can afford to do this, they mm-hmm. they they can easily just like with their with their uh 1.5 billion dollars in profit in 2021 compared to 1.15 that is a uh 35 or point point three five billion. yeah th- 350 million dollar increase yeah. in profit over in two years yeah uh and somehow they're there's they just i don't i don't know and what the these people with who are working with all of this forced overtime make around thirty thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. in a yeah, factory. This is it, yeah. to me. It sounds like it's a uh, almost like they have to invoke the oh you should be thankful to work in the factory where the candy's made. Yeah, while th- while they're paying their CEO nineteen million dollars a year, and like we said at the top, like when they 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 class their workers as essential, but they never gave them hazard pay any sort of pay increase for working through the pandemic their one way of thanking the workers for working all that time putting their lives at risk for many of them i'm sure getting covid at work they gave them a free t-shirt oh boy that's my favorite was it shot out of a cannon into the stands (laughs) that's the only way i get my t-shirts anymore what the fuck that's even more disgraceful than a fucking pizza party or <laughs> t-shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> great yeah. i'll be sure to wipe my ass oh with you it. get you get branded <laughs> company merch yeah yeah i mean shit even that when we talked about red lobster they gave him that glass full of candy i'd rather get that than a t-shirt i mean that's still oh, the, an the, insult the commemorative like, lighthouse i think it was yeah. full of candy yeah what a yeah. fuck that one's interesting though because it's not just condescending it's also super weird like (laughs) the t-shirt is very bog standard bottom of the barrel shit but a a little glass lighthouse full of candy makes you think there's some very weird pathos happening in the hr department (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) right so yeah you we're uh we're very thankful for you please wear this branding so that more people think about buying our products right um but yeah yeah so so ballots were sent out for these workers last week um, and we should get the results at the end of March. So there's a, we're going to have a real banger of an episode, <laughs> yeah. either, either the last week of this month or the first week of April, depending on when these results trickle in. Cause there's a lot of union elections and, and various like big stories that are building up this month. So Isn't stay it fun? tuned. Isn't it fun following union politics where the elections actually mean something and there's a lot of them. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it kind, kind yeah, of. Yeah, that's is. the I thing, folks. Like, don't pay attention to bourgeois elections. Pay attention to union elections. That's right. Yeah. I remember when, like, the TDU slate was coming down, and the and the one worker, one vote UAW thing. Like, that was enthralling. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, this is awesome. This is tangible, uh, you know, steps towards better working conditions for people. And uh, then you know, it's like, uh, who's gonna run for president? I don't give a fuck. that's right well speaking of tangible progress for workers our last story this week in this very i know jam-packed episode is the victory of the third starbucks workers united store to to officially unionize and the first one outside of buffalo workers in mesa arizona last week on friday finally got to count up their ballots after weeks of Starbucks throwing out legal challenges and trying to fucking slow roll this. The 
Like, and finally, the NLRB was like, no, enough. Fuck you. <laughs> We're counting the ballots. And it was a landslide, folks. 25 to 3. They were able to keep stalling when the vote was literally decisive. So, so decisive. I mean, that's the, sh- that's the shit we love to see, folks. Hey, the union <laughs> thugs have made their way all the way down to the Southwest. And let me tell you, <laughs> they could have stalled that freaking vote for as long as they wanted. It's a horse apiece. It was nearly unanimous. You can set that union certification down right next to the Davenport. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yeah. John. <laughs> and I mean... This is just, this is such a big win because now we have, you know, victorious Starbucks with unions on as basically as far apart as you can get almost in the continental U.S. Right, right, right. In in Buffalo and Mesa, Arizona. And we're going to fill it. We're going to fill it all in in between now, folks. That's 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 right. That's right. (laughs) And this is after Starbucks pulled again, all the fucking stops like they did in, in Buffalo. They, they flew in corporate management to spy on everybody and screw up the union organizing. They, they hired a shitload of new people to try and dilute the voting pool. They, I mean, they fired a, a former supervisor manager there, Brittany Harrison, who had been diagnosed with leukemia. All of that shit backfired. <laughs> like that's the thing I think that is like one of the things that's so good about this story is because as we've talked about before, Starbucks is fucking up their anti-union drive oh, just bad. massively. They have completely failed on this front, no matter how hard they've pushed this this repression. Like they 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 flooded the store with new people and they lost 25 to 3, which means a lot of those people who they brought in, they're like, oh, these guys are gonna be our ringers. They're gonna be new, <laughs> they're gonna be scared, they're not gonna know what to do, they're not gonna vote for the union. And so after a couple of weeks of talking with their coworkers, of doing, oh, that scary thing that business unions don't like people to talk about, rank and file union organizing oh, where no. every worker is an organizer. Help me, That's my right. workers are rank and file organizing. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> they i mean they got a majority of the new workers to vote for the union and just it's it's so good to see folks like i mean there's a there's a quote here from the ship supervisor uh, michelle uh Hayduke, i believe at the store who said this is another historic moment for starbucks partners and service industry workers across the country this movement started in buffalo and we've now brought it across the country yeah, I, if we're gonna let's keep on with the quotes because the next one we have in here is very funny. I I'm, I'm, yeah. I love the I love the power of the 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 shift supervisor there. But there's uh, Reggie uh, Boris uh, Bo- Borges Borges uh, a Starbucks spokesperson who said, uh, as we have said throughout. We will respect the process and will bargain in good faith guided by our principles. We hope that the union does the same. Just like, (laughs) what the fuck? You have not been in good faith even for a moment. And to say that, oh, we really hope the union comes to the table in good faith. Fuck yourself. Oh, my God. Just fuck off with that bullshit. We will respect the process. Lie. We will bargain in good faith. Lie. Guided by our principles. Don't have any. And we hope the union does the same. Scared. <laughs> Cope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. It's like they they are completely on the back foot now at this point. Like, like and, and I don't want to run ahead of ourselves. This does not mean that, you know, every store that is filed for election is going to have these sorts of results. There's going to be some inevitable failures. There's going to be some losses, mm-hmm. but the, 
like the fact that this drive has been able to get as wide as it has and in the face of this ever escalating pressure and to have these sorts of massive landslide winds like this just speaks to the power of the sort of organizing that these workers are doing. And one of the things that's been an interesting piece of fallout from this has been that like it's getting so much media coverage that we're now able to even have relatively mainstream media outlets pointing out like lies from the Starbucks repression. Like we pointed out, I think it was last week that Starbucks fired a former, a major union organizer at the first Buffalo store to organize uh, Carrie Fly- Cassie Fleischer, who was fired from the Elmwood location. And we, we, we reported that story about how they screwed with her hours before the election and then tried to screw with them again later and then basically forced her out. And so Starbucks had tried to respond to the, the stories coming out about that to say, no, no, that's, we didn't fire her. Uh, no, 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 no. She, she, she refused to work with us. But Cassie Fleischer is very smart. And she recorded the conversation that she had with management when she was fired. Nice. And in the recording, she said, what happens going forward? And her manager responded to say that she'd been fully removed from the schedule and, quote, termed out, basically, which means terminated. And and she said at the time, the manager said, effectively, like, in three weeks. And then responded, the the manager responded, I should be terming it as of today, really. You're not coming back. Wow. That's just, that's overt. (laughs) That's right on its face. I'm running out of synonyms to between geopolitics and labor news. I'm running out of ways to say, wow, that's not even trying to hide it. Yeah, (laughs) no, absolutely. And we've now even gotten to the point where like even members of the ruling class are starting to be like Starbucks. You are really making us look bad here. (laughs) (laughs) So like this guy, Jonas Cron the chief advocacy officer of Trillium Asset Management, <laughs> which, which has a $43 million stake in Starbucks. And is named after a character from Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide trilogy? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Trillium Asset Management. Oh, no, no. Jonas Crone. Who was, who was quoted in the business press saying the company is devoting quite a bit of time and money to putting forward these arguments in front of the NLRB. It doesn't feel like they're using investor resources, stakeholder resources that well. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Which like, stop spending our money on union busting. (laughs) You're clearly bad at it. And cause that's the thing. To be clear, I don't want to give this guy credit for one second. Cause I guarantee, cause this is the thing we're hearing about this now when Starbucks' repression methods are failing. So I don't think this guy had much of a problem with it beforehand, but yeah. it is very funny to see them be like, like tugging at the collar, like, this isn't working. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been a, a, a long one, folks, but in, you know, trying to keep it funny, let's move on to the meme review. Yeah, that's right, which our, our first meme this week is basically a continuation of the story that we just did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... We've got this, this is a tweet, well, it's an edited up tweet from this account, Wooby Tuesday, where part of it is just a screen cap of a HuffPost article from their business that says, Starbucks tries to slow union elections, but misses the legal deadline by eight minutes. Ah, the coffee chain legal team said, 
<laughs> that coffee chain's legal team said Microsoft Outlook crashed as it was emailing the files. And the labor board officially doesn't have much sympathy. Uh, <laughs> I love it when and, Excel cra- or Outlook crashes. That's my favorite program to crash because I don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it, and so, I mean, obviously the, the, the tweet was just like, like putting out a, a laugh at it, but then it's been edited to throw. They've got Clippy in here, but with a like a, a Maoist hat on and it just says, it looks like you were trying to fuck your workers. Would you like some help with that? I bet you would, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> also, bet you would. A <laughs> uh, uh, little bit of hat discourse on the side. I've gone to bat for the two-pointed hat many times. Uh, I think the ones they wore in Catalonia were pretty good. But, you know, the older I get, the more I think this little Maoist, uh, what is this hat called? The cap with the star on it? It's just such a good look. It's really strong. It is strong. a nice hat. It's got the bill, so it keeps the, the sun out of your eyes, which is really important. That's uh, right. It's ni- nice and loose fitting on top, so it fits lots of different people. Yeah, I mean, shit. That's a good hat. Hell yeah. <laughs> the I next one is a, uh, another one of the Starbucks Workers United. Well, from Starbucks, but this is a Starbucks Workers United. Uh, Cor- uh, Cortland, a leader at the first unionized Starbucks store, on why he joined the movement. And this is uh, him, the first, it's a two panel here. And it says, uh, what convinced me to sign with the union? Question mark. Uh, living in America. Like, <laughs> big fucking mood. Big fucking mood. Hell yeah. yeah. I like this one just because, like, it's not even really a meme. <laughs> I just put it in here because, like, it's so dead on. Like, yeah. You You expect some, like, because with that sort of a question, I'm sure most people expect to be like, oh, well, you know, I figured we could get better wages or I wanted to have a, even I wanted to have a say in my workplace. But this guy is just like, no, it's, why do I need a union? Because we're fucked in this country without one. I live in one of the worst, the worst country in the world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you tally up atrocities against standard of living, we are the worst. (laughs) Uh, I love this next one. No, this is the yeah. funniest meme I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I don't know why this, I think it's because there's all the like, the the food bins uh-huh. that I keep for some, my brain keeps thinking of as like cardboard boxes, but this meme, or maybe it's the camera angle, but it gave me big like Metal Gear Solid vibes. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Because there's, Where, yeah, he's looking at, he's looking down the hallway at the, at the, what is, I guess, assumed to be a manager. Well, yeah. Well, well they're only a clear, Hideo Kojima is one of the more worker-pilled video game developers. I mean, Death That's Stranding true. is basically just like uh, a a um a very dry black comedic kind of black yeah. comedy kind of take on gig work. Yeah, so so this meme is basically it's this looks like it's in maybe either like the back storage area of like a fruit market maybe. Uh-huh. Um, where you've got just stacks and stacks and stacks of food bins, like, and then like alleys between them. And you've got one guy and he's standing there, he's leaning on one of them, but you could only just see like his head. If you're looking down the aisle and he sees, sees there's a, there's a supervisor with a clipboard standing down there and it's just captioned me hiding in my workplace. Cause a good worker is hard to find. <laughs> good workers are hard to find folks. <laughs> I, I, I love that though. Like taking something that people say, which is like, man, a good worker is so hard to find, and turning it into a maxim. Like, if I'm going to be a good worker, I must be very hard to find. <laughs> so I will pursue that. <laughs> Absolutely. 
yeah, no, huge energy there. This, the, we, we love to see this sort of worker innovation. Yeah. Hell yeah. And then, uh, uh, spin on an, an oldie, but goodie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh we've got the uh john do you know what this one's called is there a me uh, yeah there- it, it used to be like friendship with uh moderic ended now i don't remember it was some other guy's name is my best friend and it's one of those memes that was made in a lab to look as shitty as possible but yeah. trigger a very deeply placed switch in everybody's brains that makes them say my friendship is ended with pandemic now land <laughs> war in europe is my best friend <laughs> yeah. yeah and we're not gonna we're not gonna go over all of the the thing but it's just like we've seen so many people just like especially like like people in government just be like uh what pandemic we have to worry about uh about the uh the land war yeah, well, and he, I mean, honestly, like, at the risk of opening up a whole can of worms, all you really need to know about what the United States needs to do in relation to what's going on in Ukraine right now is that U.S. and NATO involvement never works. It never, it never helps anything. It's never helped anyone except the people who operate the United States and NATO. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's become... To this, to this meme's correct point, it has become the immediate excuse for the Biden administration to completely dump all pandemic protections yep. and just be like, what pandemic? What pandemic? Everywhere, hey, every, it's everywhere green now, folks, because yep. we changed the colors. Everywhere I went at work today had signs up that are like, we're very proud to announce masks are no longer mandatory on premises. And I just look at them and I'm like, okay. Keep in mind on, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, like, yeah, cases have gone down. Hospitalizations have gone down. It's great. Are they zero? No. Nope. Are they, like, lower than they were at the previous lull points that then turned into other gigantic spikes with new variants? Nope. No. So, like, there's literally zero reason to expect there won't be another big surge coming up soon. Right, so, yeah, like, like, is the pandemic over? I don't know, idiot. Does the Pope shit in the woods? Obviously not. <laughs> yeah it it, but but now but now we've got war to talk about and we can and and the propaganda spigots are turned to full fucking blast and so they don't even have to pretend to give a shit about the pandemic anymore and that sucks i have been seeing people mentioning they're like this is an even more concerted media blitz and and round of like consent manufacturing than even what we saw in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 when we went and invaded a bunch of unrelated countries yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we- <laughs> well, I I don't know that I'd say it's necessarily worse. Just because, like, I don't think that it can be understated how absolutely psychotic the sure. United, the atmosphere in the U.S. got for a decade after nine eleven. Because, like, like don't get me wrong, I agree that our that the media fervor right now, the propaganda is on another level. It it is definitely the worst that I've seen apart from maybe the right. immediate couple of years after uh, 9-11. And maybe it is worse, and, and I'm just... I, I, I think I'm it's not, different. It's hard for me to frame and We're seeing well, it and- a lot more on, like, a personal social media level, whereas we were just... Yeah. We're seeing so much just on, like, big news programs, and nobody watches right. big news programs so much anymore, and so, really, they have to move it all to to ads and, and, uh, and AstroTurf 
bullshit that people share on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Back when 9-11 was happening, I was both a lot younger, had basically no political education and had no way to see through this stuff. Now I have the power of critical analysis and an understanding of how the United States operates on a global scale. And it, it all seems so much more like cartoonishly evil to constantly rally support for NATO intervention here. But uh, yeah. let's close yeah. that can of worms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, we go to that. What did we reference the original for this last time? We have not, but I have, I have the, I have it in the, one of our other documents. So to, I will give the setup <laughs> okay. for this meme. So, Last week, uh, I was going to suggest we do a story about this, but it's, it's not really enough for a whole story. It actually, I think it's better to put this in the meme review. Basically, the workers at Activision Blizzard King who have been unionizing managed to get a hold of a union avoidance uh, presentation by this law firm, Reed Smith, that was hired by ABK. And it had some real gems <laughs> In in there, the especially the oh, yeah, just do it, yeah, do the do the list. Yeah. So the 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 best one though, the one that you may have seen because mm-hmm. it went around Twitter a lot, which because it's very funny, is a a slide from their slide package that's titled "quote Types of Employees Unions Exploit," and it's a bulleted list: lazy, non-productive, or inefficient. Footloose and fancy free. No major <laughs> obligations or commitment, financial or otherwise. Rebel. Anti-establishment. Opposes society. Structure. Management. M- malingerer. Something for nothing attitude. Malingering malingerer. is so cool. That's all I do. Every day I wake up and I'm like, God, I can't wait to fucking malinger today. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then so it continues. Whiner and complainer. Activist. And overqualified for current job position. <laughs> oh, that one's interesting because they're like, there's like a weird paranoia that like doctors and lawyers have given up their careers to come insult a Hardee's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the, the yeah the these these game testers they're they're so qualified. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so. People were having a field day with that. I know they pointed out that like people in their organizing Slack were like tag yourself and like change and like change their name to like malingerer. <laughs> yeah, like, layabout. Anti-establishment lay rebel. <laughs> Layabout's another yeah. funny one. I, I also love that like in order to seem sophisticated, like when there's no no actual real content to present and you just have to like like affirm some kind of insane thing that isn't true people always resort to like $10 words from the last century. They're yes. like, these malingerers and layabouts need to 23 skidoo right out of this here <laughs> horse stable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's right. right. And so the workers at the Game Workers Alliance made uh, an alternate version, which Lena, I don't know if you want to want to yeah, go through yeah. that one. <laughs> so this is a, in the, the new headline to this one is types of employees that unions empower. Uh, invested in people who are invested in success. They know their self-worth. Team player and advocate for others. Leaders. Committed, dedicated, and detail-oriented. Great listener and hardworking. Sexy AF. Snappy dresser. Fancy pants. Dapper. You. (laughs) Damn. If I don't feel called out by snappy dresser, fancy pants, dapper. (laughs) love it <laughs> yeah that's right I, I i just love the 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 spin around on that one 
But uh, this has been a long one, folks. We appreciate you uh, sticking through it with us. Uh, we're going to do another one next week. And if you <laughs> and we're going to be putting out some awesome new Patreon content. We do still have a bunch of other uh, evergreen episodes about uh, the repressive state apparatus, the uh, theories on, on the nature of the state, and a bunch of other cool stuff. And uh, you can get those by going to patreon.com slash workstoppage, giving us $5 a month. If you cannot afford that, jump in the Discord. The link is in the job er, in the job description. <laughs> That's where my, my brain is right now. In the episode description, and uh, you can come hang out with us. Let us know that uh, you need the access, and I'll I'll hook you up with that. Uh, if you can share our episodes with people, you know, the, let people know about the show. It helps us get the word out. Uh, you can follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod, and. Uh, Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce, listen to Red Game Table, which they are almost done. They just put out another cool episode, and it fucking rocks. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and uh, as speaking of things that rock, labor peace is not in our interest. That's right. Solidarity forever. Solidarity. Everybody. Solidarity, everybody. Solidarity, everybody.